Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to The Friday Show, the show that cannot wait to see Michael Knight and doing keepy-uppies on the Old Trafford pitch again. Please make it happen. Uh, we're looking back at the past week and forward to the weekend's home opener. A sizzler, no doubt, at the Etihad. Plus catching up with a Bournemouth fan and to discuss all matters City, I'm delighted to be joined by two big hitters, it's Lloyd and Joe. Uh, good afternoon, Lloyd, first. How are you doing? Afternoon, I am well. Uh... I'm up in Manchester, ready for the game. Um, I'm buzzing. Erling Haaland's home debut. Yeah. Um, you, you survived the train journey then. I did. Yeah, I was meant to come, meant to come tonight, so Friday evening. But checked the train times yesterday, and already a total mess. Ten past five was cancelled. Half five was cancelled. Six o'clock delayed by thirty minutes. Seven o'clock cancelled. Uh, half seven delayed by 40 minutes, eight o'clock ran. So I thought, you know what, it'll be much worse on Friday, people coming up for the weekend, etc. So yeah, I just nudged him, went last night. Good, good sound reasoning. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's risky, and it do it. Even the day before in this country, it's, it's risky trying to get somewhere. So yeah, good decision. Uh, sure, Joe, mate. yeah, Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. All good. Um, won't, won't lie, sweltering in this heat slightly. Um, uh, I'm, I may have forced Lloyd to close the window because I had to, so I apologise. Shocker. Well, well, yeah, I'll talk quicker, Lloyd, so we get the <laughs> so you can open it as soon as <laughs> I'll possible. I'll put you on 1.2 speed, Howard, it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Suffering for the cause for the listeners. But yeah, yeah. I'm good. Um, obviously, it's going to be similar to tomorrow. We're just discussing off air um, for any listeners. I'm five rows off the top of the South Stand third tier, so. I'm just hoping to make it through that arduous journey, uh, arduous journey in this heat. But it's going to be an interesting one. Looking forward to it. You can get the lift up anyway to the third tier, but I won't. I won't want to be in the lift tomorrow either when it's no. ninety degrees. So. <laughs> Neither is appealing. But we'll see how we get on. I think all worth it for Erling. I think we're both shaded though, aren't we, in the south stands during the game? So that should be all right. So. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll stick with you. The first obvious question is. Uh, are you excited to be back at the Etihad? It's been a while, and we all know what happened last time. <laughs> we were there. Don't exactly. think it will match up to that, but nevertheless, uh, you're looking forward to it. I absolutely am, yeah. Um, doesn't feel like it was so no. long ago, that game. It feels to me like it was a few weeks ago. But, mm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I love the Etihad in the sun. I think it's, it's always makes um, the day a bit better when it, it's in this beautiful stadium. and. Just, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, obviously, it's probably the first time the City faithful in mass have, will get to see this kind of new look, uh, new engineered City team. So there's a feeling of freshness and excitement, um, I feel, around the club at the moment. And I think that'll um, be prominent tomorrow from the stands. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And get to wear shorts to a match. What more could I want? I mean, honestly, I've mentioned this before, there were about five people, I reckon, in my part of the ground that wear shorts in February so it'll be no different yeah. for them but yeah. the rest of us have got a good reason this time anyway so they'll be looking at the other short wearers with scorn tomorrow as I know yeah. Yeah, but, this yeah. is my patch but it's true though when everyone is in like a t-shirt or equivalent it just looks nice isn't it? Yeah, the ground just looks better and it'll be bluer yeah. because people just, have coats on so it's just like a sea of blue, isn't it? I've always felt it about the Etihad that when it's a really nice warm day. It's just it just gives the stadium a bit of more so than other stadiums. I feel it just gives it a more of a a real city. Obviously, the sky and the colour, and it, it gives it a real 
positive city feel so yeah I'm looking forward to it mm. Lloyd are you looking forward to getting back oh 100% yeah I was meant to go to well hoping to go to West Ham with Leon but couldn't make that um, so yeah I am <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, I'm laughing because yeah, if people have been listening this week I was I spent the weekend next to the stadium and didn't go to the match. So that was a special moment from you, to be fair. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's stupidity off the scale, is it not? So yeah, it's incredible hocking foresight. <laughs> yeah. This is why I never organise anything. I get other people to do it for me. So, well, there you go. Um, so I wasn't as close, uh, but um, yeah, I'm very excited. I second everything you you boys have said on like kind of the Etihad in the sun. Um, it's just got, I don't know, first game of the season, it's just got a bit of a different feel, hasn't it? And obviously there's quite a few players that, um, well, you know, three main ones who we haven't seen in the flesh yet. And I'm just quite looking forward to just seeing Erling kind of shooting towards us in the south stand. Um, one of the boys uh, who went to West Ham just said he's, he is massive. <laughs> like, when you see him in the flesh, because I think when Grealish turned up, for the first time, obviously I'd watched him before for Villa at the Etihad, but I saw Grealish and I was like, "Christ, he's bigger! He's a bigger lad than I expected. Mm, like, yeah. kind of a bit broader." And I didn't Stocky. think he was that tall. Yeah, and obviously his, you know, his legs are massive. But um, yeah, when one of the boys was just saying like, "Harlan's just like different level. Like, he's just an absolute unit." Um, I think he's clocking in about six foot four and a half, six five. It's so still you know, growing into and in that welcome video he seemed to be surprised at his own height so yeah it's a terrifying prospect isn't it I mean exactly. I, I will second that Lloyd from from the game the other day I mean literally the first thing I thought when I saw him is that geezer is absolutely massive it doesn't put it into justice like you know when you watch him on the on the TV like he's, he's even a crap against like West Ham are known for having big centre halves aren't they and he just towered over them Absolutely huge. Hmm. Well, the thing is, and I, I go to the game with Tony, who's who's six foot six, so he's probably going to be uh, concerned that Harlan's going to be overtaking him this season. So, um, <laughs> if not, maybe we can send Tony on up front and see if he can get his bonds on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, West Ham's striker wasn't there. Wasn't that diminutive either, was he, when he came on last week? So good, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Made his presence felt, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, returning the target man. Yeah, it's good. To, yeah. Good to see. Uh, before we look forward to the match. Let's look backwards first, as we tend to do. First question also, uh, Joe, is did it feel weird not having a midweek game? <laughs> I was actually, I trepidation approaching the West Ham match, uh, but once you win, of course, you just want football all the time, and yeah. it's going to be a congested season. I know it's sensible not to have a midweek game, but uh, and you don't have them in the first week, do you? But itching for more already, in a way, after, after the opener. Definitely. I think I've been on here a few times and said my spark wasn't necessarily lit uh, going into yeah. the season. I was enjoying the rest, but I mean, that taster at West Ham and Erling just bulldozing his way through for that second game has really lit it for me. And, and I think, um, yeah, this is obviously the, the calm before the storm in terms of fixture congestion. It's going to be thick and fast, isn't it? But mm. um, I think we'll be getting our fix, it's fair to say, over the coming months with midweek fixtures. Uh, well, just to settle now on that West Ham performance, you look back on it, just how good was it? And in a way, does it matter? Because here yeah, I said at the time, we've got other levels to go to in a way, but for the opening game of the season and mm. thinking of how we've started slowly and how few games we had, couldn't have asked for much more really, could we? No, no. Um, 
I mean, you know, to be fair, it was. I didn't realize there were two, only two shots on target. It was, it was one where, you know, if you take, and the thing is, it's impossible to do this, but if you kind of took Harlan's threat out of it, you know, we didn't really threaten much. But I think the whole point is that he has completely changed the way that we play in that instead of very much kind of sharing things around during the two false nine seasons, you could see already from that game that this system and the way that we're going to be playing now, a lot of it's going to be funneled into basically putting most of our chances on a plate for him, which is why Joe is an absolute mug for not having Haaland in his uh, fantasy team. Um, There's no need. 26 points, 26 points. And do you know what? They've done the absolute scumbags. I can't even put him in for this Bournemouth fixture because they've dropped um, Kane's price and increased Haaland, so you can't do a like-for-like swap. So I'm absolutely (laughs) disgusted. But do continue. um, I mean, I've got to say that's a schoolboy from Joe, not leaving himself enough money to move things around there. Um, Falling at the first hurdle on the price changes. So, Uh, (laughs) But... um, (laughs) <laughs> I mean he's saying yeah. dropping from the fantasy football show that you've, you've done one I, I mean uh, yeah I've, prob- I've sent out an email looking for new hosts yeah, yeah. So, um, that's probably a wise we'll, decision we'll get onto that over the week P45's in the post um, so yeah I mean I, 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 it, it was great uh, we did start really well and I think you know go, at half time I was like okay you know we've not didn't feel like we created loads but I think what was obvious is that in moments I think the team were very aware that it was kind of like play, 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 drag West Ham, keep dragging them side to side and then the gaps will appear. And obviously I thought, must say, I thought Cancelo was incredible in the little tight spaces, the way he was weaving in and out of their midfielders. Rodri had another 9 out of 10 game. Um, And obviously Gundo turned up, you know, towards the end of the second half and just put that little ball through. And I thought, I think Joe, actually you... You may have said this on the review. I thought it was a great point. Is that that wasn't like a spot on ball um, in terms of perfectly waiting on like De Bruyne's, but that you almost saw there that that's what kind of Haaland will give you, and that he's just a complete freak of an athlete, and the timing of his runs is just so good. So there was a lot to be infused about. Um, but actually, from my perspective, I was glad that we had a week off because I would have been massively uh, kind of sidelined by a Wednesday game, particularly from a fantasy perspective. Um, I've had a bit of a mad week, so um, let's just build up with a few with a few whole weeks f- to start with. That's that's my take. Mm. Joe, the all the talk, the talk of the town was the inverted fullbacks, always inverting something. Pep uh, <laughs> made it narrow. We had the wide outlets. And do you see that being a common thing, or do you think just one of many new tricks Pep might have up his sleeve? You know, according to who we play, basically, because obviously we'll come to Bournemouth, but it'll be a very different game and probably a different lineup and structure from the opposition side. Do you see it being common that lineup? I think it, like you, you just alluded to, there depend on the opposition. I, I do clearly remember when when um, he, he first took the job. Uh, one of our first games under him was Stoke away, and he did it there. If you remember, with um, Zabaleta and Clichy, and I think the thinking is against teams that are just going to be compact and difficult to break down, is to just utterly um, almost destroy them through attrition with with, with the ball. Um, and I think that's what we did. I think. He took a lot of stock from um, the game against West Ham in May where he probably felt um, slighted that you could argue David Moyes maybe tactically 
certainly in that first half with our injuries got the better of us and I think the West Ham boys since the game have alluded to it that tactically it was a masterclass from City they hadn't prepared for that system at all um, it totally caught them off guard and they had no answer to it um, and especially considering the weather it was 30 degrees and I think it just killed them mentally physically um, and ended it as a contest uh, what was it sterile um <laughs> I forget the I phrase. Don't, you know, where can, I'm I going. don't know. Industrial style. Industrialization or something stupid. Yeah, yeah. But I think um, I, I do think when, when we now we've got Haaland in the team, I think where we do face your, your West Ham's and, and your compact, really structurally well, tactically set up teams, it's obviously another weapon in our arsenal because in, in Cancelo and um, Walker, you've got two players who are really comfortable coming inside, and if we can protect those flanks. Uh, and pin teams back you know it's exciting to know that that's another weapon in our arsenal um, and I, I, I thought it was refreshing from West Ham um, David Moyes Mikel Antonio to to be so open in their praise of, of how well City did I think usually in those scenarios teams always maybe certainly managers will just kind of you know they, they've got a better more expensively assembled squad it, you know you expect these results but they did come out didn't they and say it was a tactical masterclass um, so yeah, I said in the review, I don't recall... It's rare managers just say, oh, they were much better. I mean, there's, there's, there's a trope with City normally, I think I'm sure Moyes has done it before as well, is to mention you know resources and, well, we can't compete. But it's quite yeah. rare. The manager just says, look, yeah, he did me, basically. Yeah, he, he said he had my pants down, and Moyes did that. And yeah, as Antonio think- as well, it's just... It's far more refreshing when you hear a player describe what it's like playing City rather than some no-mark quoting George Orwell in match reports. <laughs> so it was interesting to hear Antonio speak like that afterwards. You know, just... We know it, but it, it, you know the liquid system we talked about, uh, it must be horrible for opposition players to play against sometimes. Yeah, and it's a great insight because obviously we're stuck and and totally in the city bubble. So to hear it from the opposition, to know what it's like playing against City, I thought it was really intriguing and and um, fair play to them. Mm. Uh, Lloyd, last thing to mention on West Ham, we've been pretty good at cat- playing catch up in previous seasons, and obviously it's one game in. But is it important to you that we? We have Bournemouth, of course, and we'll talk about complacency and we'll look at the match. We've got Notts Forest at home in a couple of weeks. Newcastle away is tricky, of course. Winning at West Ham, a very tricky match in the opening day of the season. Is it important to you that if we start well, we can be at the front of the pack throughout and it just takes the pressure off a bit? Yeah, 100%. Because I think we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got a really good run of fixtures to start the season one of the best really so we should be taking advantage of it and I think um, you know naturally we've started a little slowly in in the couple of seasons past um, and obviously you know one of the best things about particularly 17-18 was we just kind of it was just heads down from the very beginning and we just you know put a bit of daylight between us and whoever was chasing us um, which was obviously Liverpool at the time um, so yeah I think will definitely help a lot and given how you know our squad is set up in terms of the number of just top quality internationals I do think we will suffer more than most post the World Cup 
think it's really difficult, obviously, to kind of know exactly how that's going to be because it's never really happened before. But I do think there's a you know there's a greater chance, particularly with how small our squad is, which I've been tweeting about this week, and I know a lot of other people are slightly worried about. You know, there's a there's a there's a decent possibility that we pick up a few injuries off the back of the World Cup, and our already quite tight and stretched squad could be paper thin for going for you know all the competitions that we want to. So I I th- I I completely agree. I think it's actually pretty fundamental that we particularly for the first six, because we've got a, a nice run, just try and eke out as many points as possible. Hmm. Right, let's move on then. Uh, let's look at other news. And joy of joy, we get to talk about left-backs again. Yippee. Uh, I'm afraid we've lost Joe, his feed at the moment. A day of technical issues, which I think is linked to the temperature in the UK because you know we can't cope with any weather above 60 degrees so uh, if we get Joe back we will try to but it's just Lloyd from now on uh, Lloyd, left backs, your favourite topic collect offside there from the listeners yes, uh, everyone's favourite topic Sergio Gomez it looks like is going to be a signing for City an actual left back though I think he's converted and he used to play there so mm. The obvious question is where do you see his role at City should he sign do you think City need another left back either way do you think we should give him a chance to establish himself in the squad was it left field for you how do you how do you assess this signing for City mm, so very difficult one I think from our fans perspective because I think the player is quite unknown it's not someone that kind of you know it's not a name that you know because you've seen them in one of Europe's top five leagues or yeah. someone who's been really widely tipped as like a you know amazing talent. I'm thinking of someone like Odegaard or a Haaland from you know from somewhere slightly more left field, um, and obviously hasn't really played in the Champions League to my knowledge. Um, Joe actually was beginning to make a really good point before he dropped off, so I will piggyback a little bit on that. I think what. I th- what I'm kind of getting out of it is quite big Zinchenko vibes. So obviously someone from, you know, reading what I have about him who traditionally wasn't a left-back has been kind of converted to play there uh, actually by Vinny last season at Anderlecht. But also someone who clearly, you know, we have to be completely honest, I don't think he's been signed to be the answer to the left-back. And I think it's... You know, it would be kind of ridiculous for that to be the case. The guy simply doesn't have enough pedigree in the game to be thrown in for big, big games for City. Um, he seems, he strikes me, and you know, look, we haven't, I haven't watched him play, but he strikes me as a more developmental player, which is why I kind of referenced Zinchenko because that was obviously what um, we signed him to be back in 2016 when we got him from um, UFA. So I don't think. I don't think he's the guy. I think we do definitely need another left back. Obviously, it's a body, and at the moment, you know, we don't have any. So, yes, it's kind of helpful. And I'm sure, you know, we could see him kind of bed into the Carabao games and FA Cup games and kind of see how he goes. But for me, it would be very much, it would be a massive risk to go into the season with just him. And, you know, it looks as if the club are aware of that and they're very much briefing all of the boys that the journalists that are close to City that they're very much in for what I think they've called directly a senior left back Um, 
I think the problem is the the fact that, and I think again we've got to be honest with ourselves, the fact that they are countenancing keeping him in the squad and not loaning him out, which was clearly the plan initially, definitely suggests that they are not particularly confident that they can sign a you know quality left back of the requisite level before the end of the window, which is a bit concerning. Really, in fact, very concerning, I'd say. So you think that if if City had been progressing with signing a big name left back, this wouldn't have happened? Because I know that no, I think, I, no, I I think there were fans that would like us to sign two anyway. So no, I think no, no, no. I wasn't saying that. I think it would have happened. I just think um, they wouldn't. They've. I mean, they've obviously changed their tune on whether they're going to send him to Girona or not. It seems now like there's a good chance he could stay with the squad and be a part of the first team. But that clearly, I don't think, was the plan initially. I think the plan was probably to sign Kukurea and they have had their eye on this guy for a while and they wanted to send him to Girona. But I think the fact that City are openly considering not doing that and in fact are briefing the entire opposite and that Pepper look at him, I think that means that they're being realistic, that they know they might not be able to get someone of the requisite quality between now and the end of August. Well, you're the squad size expert that we always bring in for this. If we signed a big name, let's just make one up, uh, Guerrero, would you still want him to stay in the squad? Or do you think there isn't developmental opportunities for him if we sign another big yeah, if we do sign a big name left back? Yes, interesting question. So I think I think if we sign someone of the kind of Guerrero level, you know, seasoned Portuguese international loads of Champions League football um, played plenty of times you know in big games in in the Bundesliga I think we could probably get by on Guerrero Cancelo Walker and I think the reason that is is because the quality of Cancelo and Walker is so high that we've shown in the last two seasons that they will play a lot and to have someone who could potentially... I mean, I think the idea was to have someone who could challenge a bit more than Zinchenko in terms of minutes and quality would be an upgrade um, to kind of push Cancelo and obviously give him a bit of a break when needed. But I do think if you had three senior kind of fullbacks with the fact that Laporte and Ake can play at left-back if necessary, I think that's probably enough. Um I mean, ideally, we would have four fullbacks, and you know, we would kind of rotate them requisitely. But I do think there's an element that Walker and Cancelo are so good that there is a strong argument actually for three. Um, but I would obviously not be against having four um, at all. And if we were to sign, if we were to sign a, a proper left back, so to speak, and we kept Gomez, then absolutely fine. But equally. I, I think if we signed a proper left back and Gomez went on loan, I would completely understand that. Hmm. What do you think? Do you disagree? No, no, I agree with all that. I think it's a tough one. He's not a, not one of those who would kick up a fuss if we kept him in the squad, having signed an extra left back. But I'm not sure if it's worth Gomez staying in the squad for at least this season. Should we sign a, another left back? Because yeah, I don't. I think we develop better elsewhere. We will see. Yeah, we have We look at fees a lot, don't we? I know he's not a huge name, so we look at that as well. But if we haven't spent fifty million pounds on a fullback, there is a, a tendency as as fans just to immediately dismiss them as a developmental or someone who's just going to be loaned out and 
go around the group, city group, and be sold on a bit later. I hope it's a lot, lot more than that, and I think it will be. But yes, I don't think there's room in the squad for much football uh, for Gomez should another left back come in. Uh, weird rumour yeah. today. Perhaps should be taken with not just one pinch of salt, but a thousand pinches. Is Kieran Tierney? Uh, obvious elephant in the room there is he makes Vincent Company look like yeah the fittest footballer that's ever played the game does it surprise you that link have you any any interest in him coming to City because he's obviously a good player but that isn't really the point is it so doesn't it doesn't surprise me because I think he is naturally someone there aren't that many good left backs about and I think that's evidenced by the fact that once the Kukurea deal's gone dead City have kind of <laughs> gone dead as well hmm. a little bit and that we've obviously had to pivot for a couple of weeks but I think once that's happened it's understandable that someone like Tierney would be kind of in the consideration but I think like you say the big problem with him is that he really struggles with his injury record and um, you know just have a look at his um, yeah, his injury record on like transfer market, which always sets it out really well, and he picks up a lot of muscle injuries. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a um, kind of Arsenal training issue or a um, kind of SNC issue because it's something that has kind of followed him throughout his career. He had that big problems at Celtic as well, so I think he is just a bit like Vinny, someone that really struggles to kind of play regular games and. That is definitely not what we need. But when you know when Tierney's fit and he's available, I can completely understand why he'd be why he'd be in the question. But I would be. I think there are better options on the market personally. Well, he's just had knee surgery, so you know when people say someone's got a bad injury record, I tend to go online and think it's never as bad as people say it is. It's like because I've been hearing about other players as well, and I looked up Tierney, and it really is as bad as people say it is. It's four like three month absences, plenty of other, well, I mean, plenty of other, like at least one month absences, a lot of time out. And the, the other point is, you, if you can't play consistently, then you'll never get the best performances out of him anyway. Even if, if you can only play for a month and then pick up a knock and isn't playing very often, then you'll never see the best of that player anyway. So yeah, it's, it's one fraught with far too much risk for me. Uh, Certainly, any substantial uh, transfer fee just has to be out of the question. But yeah, we'll we'll see if that one develops. It's probably one of those that will fade away. Do you have a preferred option uh, left back that you'd like to see come into City? Well, I think to to me the standout is Lodi left mm. back at Atletico. He's an absolute player, and have thought- you seen a lot of him? Yeah. Seen a decent amount of him since he's moved to Atletico. I mean, I watched um, a lot of them in the Champions League last season. Obviously, they faced us, but before they played against us, I thought in both legs against United, he was the best player. And I thought he was pretty pretty good against us. Don't think he was amazing, but very solid. And um, the year before last, when Atleti won the league, he was quality. Um, and I've just seen him in you know the odd kind of Spanish game that you turn on, and he just looks completely to the man of born. He's physically quite good, quite strong in the air for his size, so up and down. Um, you know, just everything I think that City would want 
from the left back and exactly what we're missing at the moment and someone that would just immeasurably help Grealish I think so he would be my first choice but the thing is I just I don't think it's it's likely I mean there's talk of a 60 million pound release clause there's talk of a 120 million euro <laughs> release clause um, I mean frankly if it was if, there, if you had a 60 million euro release clause we are release clause FC so I think I think we'd have paid that by now <laughs> to be honest he's definitely definitely to me that is definitely a a very kind of fair fee for for Lodi so I imagine unfortunately that's just not going to be something we can do I know Atleti have been struggling a little bit with their finances obviously they're tr- constantly trying to shift um, Felix they've let big um, Suarez go on big wages but to me that seems unlikely so I think if we rule him out to me the other two options that I would be interested in are I think Guerrero would be pretty good um, I've watched a lot of him mainly for Portugal actually uh, and he's kind of been in and out of that team a bit but he's obviously played quite a lot um, he, dead ball specialist um Always been good for Dortmund as well when I've seen him. Great going forward, not the best defensively, but you know, I suppose Cancelo's a little bit like that to be honest. Yeah, how um, much does that matter in a city team? <laughs> I think it I think it matters a strange question on the surface, but you know. I think it matters when we're signing someone to essentially compete with Cancelo. I think it would be good to have someone who brings us something slightly different. Um because Cancelo is so good going forward that it would be I think it would be nice to have a someone at left back who's a better defender. Yeah. So that would be I think that'd be my only concern with him and he's also 28 I think. So that's not terrible but kind of getting on a little bit but I I think the reason to me that that just seems like the, the one is one year left on the contract. <laughs> City, Immediate, you know. Yeah. We, you know, we've got ourselves into a situation where we basically need to do a deal this window. To me, that screams out as the most likely. Um, I think the other one that I would be interested in because, again, watched him less, but every time I've seen Ait Nori at Wolves, I think he's looked pretty good. Um, I think there's a bit of doubt there as to whether he could kind of go up two or three levels from Wolves to City. Um, But technically, superb. Was obviously at fault for the goal against Leeds at the weekend, but you know, physically quite a big guy. Every time I've watched him, I've thought, yeah, you know, he kind of, he's probably ready for the step up. But I think he's, to me, he's never struck me as someone who's ready to go from Wolves to City. I've always thought he's ready for kind of like Arsenal level, you know, that kind of, not the City-Liverpool level. So, but good player. And if if that were to happen, then I would definitely not be against that. I think the the, the, the problem there is that the fee would be big. Wolves don't want to sell. Uh, we'd pay Premier League premium and I think he's on a longer contract so you know for all those reasons a lot harder to do this window so Guerrero strikes me as the one that, that is the most likely achievable yeah and achievable yeah because that bottom line does down but that's not achievable is it so let's be honest oh god so. well that would be good what about <laughs> what about you you've yeah you've, you've mentioned uh, pretty much what you said which so I'll just fire another question back instead to be honest I think Guerrero is the achievable one yeah and you know, time's running out as well. Would we pay sixty million pounds for loading? Now, obviously, we didn't. We don't value Cucurello at sixty million pounds, but he was the first choice apparently. So, do you think we'd ever spend that on someone else, or do you think we've set that cap on any left back we go for? Or do you think 
if Lodi suddenly became available for £60 million, could you envisage City being interested? I think it's a slightly different conversation with someone like Lodi, though, because I think the problem with Kukurea and the fee is that here's a guy that's got no kind of sharp end Premier League experience and he's got one year in the Prem, admittedly a good year, but well, maybe a great year to be fair, but you know that's all we're really going off. No Champions League experience, no heavy international experience and so I think we're taking a bit of a punt that he can kind of level up from Brighton, but I think it's obviously less of a punt to me it's than someone like Eight Nori who I think despite the fact he's got more Premier League experience, clearly isn't at the probably level that Kukurea is right now. Lodi, on the other hand, I think it's an entirely different conversation. The guy has played a lot of Champions League football. He's played a lot of Copa Libertadores, which is a pretty good level. Um, And I don't have his Brazil caps in front of me, but um, I think he's played pretty decent amount of games for Brazil. So I just think there's a lot more pedigree there. So for me, splashing 60 on someone like him is a lot more Walker, Mendy kind of vibes, Cancelo. Um, and I think that's someone that that kind of fee becomes a lot more justifiable for. 15 Brazil caps. So. There you go. How many caps do you think Hernandez has for France? Is this a quiz? <laughs> yeah. Always, always just surprising with a quiz question at any point. I don't think he's got loads exactly. because his injury record isn't fantastic uh-huh. and they've got lots of options there and sometimes Pavard has played there under Deschamps so I would guess similar number probably maybe yes. slightly more seven so really yeah I mean that's mental it is yeah it <laughs> shows the competition it must have yeah yeah exactly um, yeah well we will see I guess uh, just three twelve 19 under three weeks to go in the transfer window. Anyway, breaking news as we speak, Guardiola's press conference is going on as we're recording this and he's just confirmed that Gomez is going to stay at City as part of the squad as a left-back alongside Cancelo and Josh Wilson-Esbrand. So, to me, I don't want to say I told you so, but that very much smacks of, I think they're struggling to get that deal done for someone that they really think is good enough yeah. right there's one there's one issue left before we look forward it's probably more tedious than left backs mm. Bernardo Silva <laughs> uh, are you tired of it all now what the the links his what do you think of his interview was he advised for you and is it a case now of us blues just ignoring it and getting on with it and if something happens it happens I must say I've got oh, I've got quite strong opinions on this one. Um, we we love strong opinions. So. I re- I love Bernardo. Don't get me wrong, but I really think he's taken the piss a bit now. Um, I know that he's obviously asked a couple of times to leave, and you know I I completely take that if someone's unhappy in their work environment, then ultimately often it's best for them to leave. And obviously City have this very much smiling open door policy that, you know, anyone can go if they want, if they bring evaluation. I think what's changed in recent weeks for me is that, you know, he said it a lot now. Um, I think we all know, I think we all know exactly what Bernardo wants. Um, 
for me, he's kind of going over old ground a little, and I think it's unnecessary in that it's destabilising for the club. Um, and I think, ultimately, if he's frustrated with his situation, it can't really be at City, because for me, City, I think, have been probably too accommodating with Bernardo already. I think we've made it clear that, you know, he can go, essentially, and I think that is obviously not something that I or the fans are particularly happy with, with very good reason. We've kind of really paved the way for him to leave. If Barca or whoever want him can't meet City's valuation, which, by the way, I don't think is a, at all an absurd valuation for a player of Bernardo's quality. It does, I really didn't like those just because he's more ground. I'm a bit confused as to why the club actually sanctioned those because I'm sure someone would have been there for that interview with ESPN. Um, I just think once the season's begun, it's it's destabilising and it's unnecessary. The thing is, he, said, he didn't say anything, just going over all ground. And I think we all appreciate that he wants to leave. But to be completely frank, you know, if another player, um, and I think Sterling's a really good example, if you think of other players, if they'd have acted like Bernardo has, I think the reaction would have been very different, to be honest. I think because Bernardo is a fan favourite, and because on the pitch, I think he gets given a lot more good grace than some of our other um, players, and it has that different relationship with the fans. But I think, I think he's kind of um, overstepped it a bit recently. And yeah, that I must say, those those comments seeing him, I did really kind of piss me off. Well, yeah, the thing is, as you say, City aren't going to stand in his way, but he wants to go to a club who can't even register its own players. So there's nothing on City here, is there? They've been as Absolutely accommodating not. as they can be, to be honest. And I, what what's he trying to achieve by mentioning it again in an interview, to be honest? Obviously, he might have just have been asked a question, but don't mean you have to answer it, does it? Well, I just, I just think, to me, that that uh, questions like that, they're obviously going to be asked, but it's smacked of. Bernardo should have just said, look, everyone knows my thoughts. That's all I'm going to have to say about it. Let's move on. And then if they ask again, you just say, like managers and players do look I've already given you my answer that's all I'm prepared to say and then it's it's a non-story and you know I don't think it's the destabilizing effect that it has been so I was a bit yeah I was a bit cheesed off with that I'll be I'll be honest right it's almost time to look forward quick couple of very rapid fire questions that you don't have to answer in detail you okay with that all good with me Raheem Sterling's face the media was there anything remotely surprising for you about what he said obviously was always going to be divisive with City fans what he said but mm. basically told us what we knew didn't it he did yeah and um, I don't really have too much of a problem with Sterling's comments I think the ob- the obvious thing is that he's referring to this unknown but every but everyone inside the camp knows what it is thing um, which is a little bit of a head scratcher and obviously suggests that maybe this will come out in the future, but I don't really have too much of an issue with with what he said. Um, he's right. I think you know he did drop out of the team. Um, the reasons for that, to my knowledge, or to my eye, without the kind of knowing what's going on with it, his form dropped, and <laughs> other other players were contributing more. I mean, that's what I think it is. Maybe there's something we don't know. That could be could be true. Um, but, you know, Sterling's always been pretty straight. Um, apart from one interview that he gave when I think it was with... He did a conference with the FT where he basically sat on stage and was like, yeah, I want to go to Madrid. 
I, I think Sterling has always been very respectful when it comes to these kind of things in kind of slight contrast to Bernardo um, so yeah no no real issue with me there just maybe just I think just the point that there could be you know there could have been a ding dong that we don't know about and maybe it'll come out but um, to me it just looks like he, he didn't play because he wasn't as good as some of the others well the key point there is he got the games he deserved as you said does that put pressure on Tuchel to pick him should he have variable form now at his new club? I th- well, I think I think Tuchel he has to be one of the first names on Tuchel's team team sheet, doesn't he? And if that's not the case, then he's going to have a very big problem. But mm. I think the way that Chelsea have kind of gone this summer and their options there, I think Sterling's in a bit more of a secure position than he is at um, he was at City. He is the at the biggest, moment, yeah. At the moment, yeah, he's the biggest earner there, um, and he's probably. You know, in their front line, he's the guy with the best track record by far in the league. So he's an obvious pick, isn't he, really? Right, final, very quick question. Talk of extending the North Stand so everywhere's three tiers. Good idea? Or will tie us some empty head jokes be the death of all of us? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, well, Steve did an article about this, didn't he, earlier in the week or last week about where we kind of bottom out his average attendances and how a lot of the tripes are, are bollocks, particularly when it comes to Premier League attendances. So, um, yeah, I mean, if the club want to do it, sure. I uh, suppose it would make it look more symmetrical, which some people care about. <laughs> OCD um, people love it, yeah. Exactly. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine, you know, the Haaland hype has probably created a bit of demand. As that's, I know Simon Bukowski's yeah. in the story this morning that, ticket sales and kind of inquiries at a record level so the club obviously think I mean they wouldn't do it if they didn't think they could fill it so yeah go for it whatever right, I think that's it well yeah this, it's a UK obsession surely about filling seats you, you're, I'll say it again very simply the attendance of a ground is if should be what you can fill sometimes not what you can always fill right? every seat does not have to be filled all the time it's just but that's the world we live in Right, that's the end of part one. Uh, Earlier today, I spoke to a Bournemouth fan ahead of this weekend's game, and this is the chat we had. Uh, To discuss all things Bournemouth ahead of the game on Saturday afternoon, I'm delighted to be joined by Simon from Talking Cherries. Uh, Hi Simon, how are you doing? Hello, I'm great. A little warm, but other than that, all is good. Three points on the board. Yes, it is a little warm. We're just saying uh, it's going to be a a love... I get... I get flat for using Fahrenheit, but it works better for hot weather. It's going to be a lovely 90 degrees for the match on Saturday afternoon. So, yeah, it could be uh, quite attritional for, well, fans and players alike, I think. But we should certainly complain glad about I'm not good playing. Weather, should we? Yeah. No, you can when it comes to exercise. You can certainly <laughs> complain about hot weather. Yeah, don't worry, I won't be exercising much on the Saturday. Uh, well, Bournemouth, it must. Obvious question to start with. It must feel good to be a Bournemouth fan right now. Am I right in saying it's your second attempt that you came back up to the Premier League? Yes. After five or six years, was it, in the Premier League? Yeah, so obviously before the season started, we were put in the yo-yo bracket, but I educate Mm. a lot of people and say, how can you be a yo-yo club when you've only been there once and you were there for five years and (laughs) down during COVID times and all sorts of other variables, including a goal at Aston Villa that wasn't a goal, even though we were crap. But, you know, hey, hey, let's forget the variables. So the short answer is yes, it's the second attempt at uh, being in the Premier League. Uh, And the obvious question is, 
how's it feel to be back? I mean, it's hard, well, for, me it feels- City <coughs> fan, it's hard for me as a City fan now to talk about the Championship, but I still think it's an... Uh, teams hate being relegated of course but I still think the championship's a brilliant division to be in to be um, honest uh. a, yeah I mean it depends what you want out of your football yes. at the end of the day and I think if you're of a particular generation and being a Bournemouth fan as, as anybody that knows our story we've predominantly been a League 1 League 2 team we nearly went out of business and we rose through the leagues in an incredibly short period of time and then stayed in the world's biggest league for five years so that is a real story should be a movie and it's actually better than the one Wrexham are going to do. But <laughs> let's put that to one side for a minute. But it's great to be back. Uh, the Championship is a great league, and it is great fun. It's old-school football, really, because you have a chance of winning every week. And I think that's a genuine proposition. Whereas when you're in the Premier League, you don't have that. You yeah. automatic- automatically know that you're probably going to lose at least 12 games You know, against top six-ish. You might have the odd great result I think we've beaten every team in the Premier League now apart from you you're the only one left but the Championship is a great league so it's nice to be back but I think many Bournemouth fans would look at it as a commercial club evolving opportunity to probably use the revenue more wisely than we might have done the first time to build infrastructure build training facilities improve our category at training facilities and that's the legacy we're after whereas if you take it from just a pure footballing perspective many fans love the championship if we spent the money wisely and let's say became a yo-yo club for the next six years if we invested wisely we'd be quite happy in the championship with the odd tilt at the premier league from time to time so long as there's legacy and growth in the club yeah uh now coming into this season we're obviously going to get to last week's game in a bit uh how optimistic were you coming to the season about staying up and being competitive in the in the Premier League? And were you happy with the summer transfer business? Which, of course, we have well, 12th of August as we speak now, still almost three weeks to go in the transfer window. But have you been happy with uh, the players that are coming in over the summer? And did, have you, did you go into it thinking you can be competitive this season? Well, there's two things there. Um, one is... Was I excited for the start of the season? Definitely yes. Was I expectant for the season? Probably no. Mm. That's the first answer to what you said there. The second thing in terms of transfers, squad, etc. What's interesting is if you look at our players now compared to the first time we came into the Premier League, our playing squad is much better on an individual basis. Those abilities are really high, whereas the first time we came into the Premier League, we'd pretty much had an established team throughout the leagues and then came into the Premier League with that belief and those players just kept progressing and that's a very powerful thing to have and that's very powerful to have the unknown but also to be competitive and to be something quite fresh which I think Bournemouth were when we first came into the Premier League thanks to the way Eddie Howe had built the team. This time round individuals were really good but maybe there were some collective question marks on whether we would be as good as we were the last time round in terms of competitiveness. Transfer-wise, I was always on the side of let's wait and see. More importantly, I was often looking at who we might lose as opposed to who we might gain because you always begin to understand which players are on which contracts, which contracts should be renewed as a priority, which players you don't want to lose for whatever reason. So actually getting through the majority of the transfer window with no 
no pun intended, cherry picking of our <laughs> best players, that was probably the greatest priority. The players that have come in, I think, I don't know what the board's objectives are, but if it was a case of we are going to invest in infrastructure, maybe the first players you need to add to your squad are a bit of Premier League experience, but also players that have proven it in the Championship. I don't know whether this was part of the thinking. So that was also okay. You signed Fredericks, you signed Rothwell, we then have, oh my God, that's an amazing Championship team with Premier League potential. And most of our players that are in that squad, the majority, have got Premier League experience. There's also a lot of players there that have international experience, whether that's at England youth level, whether that's internationals with Wales. Obviously, you've got David Brooks who'll be back in a few weeks. There's a lot of things to like about our squad. And I think a lot of overreaction was there when it came to transfers. And I think unnecessarily, yes, there were certain positions we need to fill, but the squad overall isn't too bad. Yeah. Uh, Senesi, I won't. I won't profess to be an expert on uh, Neto, if I pronounced that right, the goalkeeper coming, was defence an area you needed to, to bolster? And yeah, I, think, I assume Scott Parker used loans as well last season, so you might have lost a couple of players there as well over the summer. Yeah, we did lose a couple of players over the summer, but not as many as some teams that may come up from the Championship. I think that's been some of the, the biggest failings of some teams when they've come up is the over-dependency on loans of high-quality players from top-level teams. And then obviously you get promoted and a lot of them go. We didn't really have that. I mean, obviously defensively, we did have Gary Cahill and Nat Phillips. Uh, Gary Cahill was a permanent signing, but he got a little niggle injury. And it was kind of not as good as Nat, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Nat came in on loan, did fantastically well. And I do believe we were in the market to sign him. But unfortunately, due to... Uh, injuries at Liverpool in that position he wasn't available so we had to look elsewhere in terms of looking elsewhere this guy looks awesome I mean you can't get the nickname Gladiator for no reason and <laughs> I'm really excited to a see a lot to he... live up to then yeah absolutely um, so <laughs> let's see what he brings but in terms of what we needed it's exactly the kind of thing, you know, for any Bournemouth fan, it was a joke within our social media. Not only did we have a Colombian in Jefferson Lerma, but suddenly within a week, we'd sign someone from Barcelona who's Brazilian and someone from Feyenoord who's knocking on the door to be international centre-back for Argentina. Can't go wrong with the Argentinian import, let's put it that way. It'll, it'll be great for you. <laughs> So, yeah, let's see. I mean, if he gets gets thrown straight into the game tomorrow and he's, you know, matched up with Haaland, you can't get a tougher start, can you? Yeah, That's a baptism. character builder. Yeah, just a bit, yeah. Uh, just remind uh, listeners, David Brooks, you mentioned before, uh, the battle he's faced. Uh, what's his story and is he back soon? Yeah, as you said. Yeah, so obviously, sadly, he got Hodgkin's lymphoma and obviously last season had to get through that and seems he now has. And he is back training full time with the first team squad. And we don't know when he'll be back, but he was interviewed about Premier League fantasy football when they do those random things and they ask who's your first player or who's in your team or etc, etc. And he was saying, I might have to change mine in a few weeks. So, because he put himself in, do you know what I mean? He put himself in his own fantasy football team. So that's the only indication we've had. I think it'll take a little bit longer, you know, yeah. for him to be back to where he was at his peak. But just to have him around the squad, and he's a great player. He's such a talent. 
and people saw that first time we were in the Premier League. So even to have him back in, I don't know, even if it's after the World Cup, you know, he can have an yeah, impact exactly. on our team. Yeah, no rush. Ex-Manchester City youth player, of course, but no, no senior start stuff thing. And Scott Parker, uh, his stock must be high right now. What's his reputation amongst the Bournemouth players, uh, local fans, I should say? He's one of those who was obviously managed in the Premier League, he's managed in the Championship. I think you'll have a mixed opinion from rival fan bases, perhaps, because of a mixed managerial record, but you really can't complain much about the job he's doing now, can you? Bournemouth finished the Championship second last season, was it not? Uh, I think yeah. you won your last three. It's six points clear of Huddersfield in third, so did a great job getting you up, and I assume your stock is very high with fans at the moment. Yeah, it's very high. I mean, I think what we as Bournemouth fans have got used to over the years is a particular style of play. It almost mm. didn't matter which manager it was, there was a Bournemouth way of playing football. Kind of like a lot of West Ham fans would always say the West Ham way. There was a Bournemouth way of trying to play football, get the ball down, pass through the parts of the field, back to front, etc, etc. I'd say to start with, some of the way Parker set the team up and how it was played was slightly frustrating to a lot of Bournemouth fans. Not against him, but we probably weren't used to that. So the fluidity of play wasn't as good as we may have liked from time to time. So his stock has evolved. A bit of a roller coaster ride, you know, sometimes with performances as well. Some people question whether he was the right man for the job in the first place. But at the end of the day, it's where you get at the end of the season. Yeah. And the objective was hit and we're up. And to be fair, I did say on a few occasions when we were in the championship and it didn't feel as fluid as it was, some of our setup and structure in play looked like it may work better in a Premier League competition than it actually does in the championship. So I think there are elements that people will begin to see that tactically he knows what he's doing to get the job done, but to be ready for certain things in the Premier League. So his stock has definitely risen. There was a brilliant thing in the Forest game. I don't know whether you saw it when it went around in social media where they shared his half-time team talk, which gave us a completely different perspective of Scott Parker and his ability to galvanise a unit and to very clearly communicate what he wants them to achieve. So it's definitely grown and it's evolving and let's see how we do through this season. Mm. And just as importantly, he looks damn good on the touchline as well. So he was there. He loves a good jacket and a good cardigan. Oh, there was got... many a joke about his lines on his jacket. I know. Day. Got some stick for the price of it last week, didn't he? So yeah, yeah I mean, but there, there, there has. It's very hard to find a better dressed in terms of varied yeah. outfits, manager <laughs> than Scott Parker. Now, I do worry. That, I mean, it was hot in London last weekend. I was in London, but uh, I, I do worry about the temperature tomorrow if it's going for full uh, shirt jacket combo, but I'm sure he'll be fine. So <laughs> He maintains an ability to still look quite cool. I know, yeah. Everyone else is boiling hot, so he can pull off a jacket even if you're in your swim shorts. It's so annoying <laughs> people <laughs> do that. Uh, last week, Aston Villa, what a perfect start. You must have been made up with that. The performance, the score, everything about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's a way to announce yourself back in the in the Premier League against a team I thought was going to do quite well this season. Yeah, I mean, when the team sheet, the lineup came up, there were many of us that were, "What is this? What's the formation? What's it going to be? Mm. Is it a three? Is it a four? Is it a five? Is it a what is it?" 
Um, but when it came to the game itself, very early on you could see that there was a plan. You could see they'd been set up to do a particular type of play, particular types of movement, which they kept pulling off. And the other thing that became very apparent is we're not necessarily looking at being a counter-attacking team. We're looking at being a very physically strong team. Hmm. And when Kiefer Moore scored that 80th minute header, and he had about 20 yards between him and the nearest defender <clears throat> to head it in, he'd just worn down those defenders. He is such a handful to play against and you could see it through the course of that game so by the time we got to 80 minutes and that ball came back in those central defenders were absolutely knackered mm. physically exhausted not necessarily from his pace he is quite quick for a tall now 30 year old but it's his mobility and it's his strength and I think he will be something quite different to a lot of defences in the Premier League this season yeah let's talk about the match then tomorrow Uh Style of play. Now, obviously, I think City fans will expect, and it will be sensible perhaps, for Bournemouth to play very deep, low block, be very defensive. Because, yeah, obviously, they don't have the resources. Who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be madness to come out all guns blazing and, you know, play an attacking formation. Do you expect that? Do you think Scott Parker can play that way? Uh, is there a style of play you expect Bournemouth to... To, yeah, for Scott Parker to use when uh, they go to the Etihad tomorrow. I think before I get into the specifics of that, and this connects back to a question you said earlier about Scott Parker and his journey, I think what's interesting for him as a manager, this is probably the first time in his managerial career that he's actually had a unit of players that he's moulded and he's yeah. chosen to evolve in his direction. Obviously, when he was at Fulham or whatever else he's done, he inherited a lot of players that perhaps weren't his type of player what he seems to be doing is something quite interesting and I'm liking how it's evolving he does really understand the game I mean you don't get to where he did as an individual player without understanding and seeing things so I think that's the exciting thing how we'll line up I can't imagine it would be anything different than what you surmised it'll be interesting whether we go again with the same thing because that was a great performance. It was probably one of the most complete performances so early in a season I've ever seen, where it would be very difficult to give one player man of the match because they all did their job impeccably. And if they can turn up and do that again, go with the same thing again. And I can imagine them doing similar things. Watching you against West Ham the other day, though, I could see early in the game, I mean, you're definitely not firing on all cylinders yet. So from a, an opposing fan's perspective, you're going through some changes in the way you play. And I think that might enable us to be probably slightly more competitive because we're playing you earlier than perhaps we may have been if we played you later in the season, if that yeah. makes sense. Oh, yeah. And I also think there are some little things I saw when you were playing West Ham that if we can do certain things quickly early, there might be a surprise. I don't expect us to win, but I don't think it's impossible that we couldn't go in front. Well, last week was the quickest goal ever, was it, by a promoted side? on first Certainly day, was. First day of the season, so that would help, wouldn't it, an early goal? So Absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully not repeating on Saturday, yeah. Do you think your recent signings may start, your South American ones especially? Um, again, that's hard to say. I mean, traditionally you would not, 
want them to because they only just come in. But yeah. he did play in the same position for Feyenoord. So it's not really going to be alien to him at his standard. You know, he's played top, top level football and he's coming to Bournemouth to get his opportunity to play in the Premier League. And I think that's maybe an astute move for him with the World Cup coming up and him wanting to be the number one Argentinian centre-back for the World Cup. So if he does really well, he's going to force his way into the reckoning there. So he, as an individual objective, he will want to play tomorrow. So I have confidence that he can do a job and he'd probably be more experienced and more able to handle someone like Haaland than Kelly or Meppen might be. Hmm. So I think he'll be the only change. And I think Lerma will move from one of the centre-backs where he played last week brilliantly. He'll move back into the centre of midfield. Yeah. You may see another little change. You know, Pearson might not play because you probably don't need two aggressive midfielders as we did last week in the way Villa set up. So I may expect Lewis Cook to come in instead of Pearson, but I'd envisage everything else will be the same, even though I personally would do something completely different. I'd really change it up, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think Lewis Cook might play because his ability to work front to back and see a quick pass, his passing range is massive, and he was unbelievable in the final phases of last season. So I felt sorry for him last week, but I think changes will be made based on the opposition and how we need to play. I don't, I'm not a big of looking at past results because a lot's changed and obviously you've been out the champion, uh, out the Premier League for two years and I think the last time we played was actually the was it the Carabao Cup? Uh, yes. But that, I think of that rather fortunate Raheem Sterling winner a few years ago there have been some competitive games some two ones uh, are, are you confident it can be a competitive game uh, when you go to the Etienne on Saturday afternoon? Well, the biggest thing that connects to past games and where we'll actually be competitive is you don't have Raheem Sterling anymore and he loved a goal against us and he scored a hatful. So the fact that he's not with you anymore already gives us an advantage. It doesn't really, but you see where I'm going based on the stats. Yeah, I think we can be competitive. I think what we have this year, which is going to make things slightly different, is we're a different Bournemouth. We're not what we were before. We can play football. We do things really nicely still, but it looks like we've got a bit of strength and guile and desire in certain phases of play that we may not have had before. And I would think the biggest thing that you should be looking at, if it's the same team as last week, is we are a tall team. Mm. And if I look at your team and if you took Haaland out of it, Ake's got a fantastic spring. But looking at our set pieces last week, not only has Tavernier brought great delivery which was one of the problems we had last season from set pieces we have a lot of big boys in there who can win a header and they're strong so from set pieces if we get them that's what I'll be looking for in the game is that will be the biggest area where I think we could have some success I don't expect us to win but I think it's going to be an interesting watch I think it will be close I don't think it'll be a walkover like a 4-0 5-0 it might be like 3-1 or something like that Okay. Now, before time is defeating us, before we go, I need to, not need to, I want to talk about yeah, your Twitter account and the uh, website that's uh, affiliated with it, talkingcherries.org.uk, is that correct? That's correct. Now, this is a Twitter feed that's more than a Bournemouth fan account. And, well, what's 
I won't say anymore. Do you want to explain about your Twitter feed and the website and what you do and the importance of it? Yeah, so in a nutshell, a few years ago, a Bournemouth fan sadly took his own life and there was a genuine outpouring of emotion and sadness on social media. And as I was personally active on social media, I looked at that and thought, it's incredibly sad, but how can we harness this emotion ahead of any given situation arising for someone having a tough time as opposed to just reacting sadly after the occurrence has occurred? So I started talking to fans both home and away about the idea of setting up a fan group, which basically is using the power of our love for our football club to start a conversation. And the great thing about football is you already have commonality. It's a great way into a conversation and it's a great way out of the conversation. And if anybody wants to talk, we now have built not only mental health first aiders, but a network, a signposting structure that we can basically be somewhere else if someone wants to reach out where there's like-minded fans where they can start a conversation and that conversation can start with football i mean i've had conversations with people on the terraces about all sorts of stuff over the years and it's like well i wouldn't talk about this to my family because you've got that tribal togetherness element and it can bring out some wonderful opportunities to start a conversation so that's the brief of what we're doing and it's just encouraged people to speak up a little bit more and feel comfortable to do so when they might not have done before. We can't solve everything, yeah. but we're an alternative route if anybody needs to talk. So that's really what we're doing is encouraging a, a chat, talking cherries, but then obviously using that as a way to have a conversation about something else. Brilliant. Uh, so to repeat, the Twitter handle is Cherries Talking. Uh, the website is talkingcherries.org.uk yeah uh, brilliant initiative so thanks for everything you've done and I saw you t uh, discuss talking to the Manchester Food Bank uh, site yesterday as well uh, so a reminder that there will be a Manchester Food Bank uh, a back setting up in their usual place uh, collecting obviously f food for those that struggle to get by at the moment of which there are many so they'll be there before uh, the city match as well so if you've got anything to offer or and they always say this you just want to go and have a chat with them they are more than happy to talk to you they would love to see you and speak to you and take any donations so yeah thank you very much uh Simon, thank you very much for coming on uh on to, to speak to us that's all right, no problem. Well, uh, I'll say good luck tomorrow, good luck to us. If it's anything other than a defeat, we'll be smiling. <laughs> well, I say to every fan, bar a couple of teams, uh, no names mentioned, after Saturday, good luck for the season. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I hope you have a, a great uh, return to the Premier League. Uh, yeah, all the best. All the best. Yeah, cheers. Uh, right, it's time to get back to the panel as we preview the match on Saturday afternoon. Welcome back. I'm here with Lloyd and just Lloyd uh, looking ahead to the match on Saturday. So, Lloyd, obvious place to start. We've talked about being back at the Etihad, how much we're looking forward to the game, even about wearing shorts. The issue is Bournemouth themselves. Uh, everyone. I think they're, they're one of the longest odds ever on a, a team that's probably come to the Etihad to win a game of football. So is complacency an issue for City on Saturday? No, I don't think so, to be honest. Um, there should be no excuse for complacency in your first home game of the season, irrespective of who it is, to be an issue. I think it's simple. The way Pep describes him has got me worried now. 
So high press, squeeze well, drop into five at the back, narrow in the middle, five at the back, close in the build up to drag you out, link with the strikers, they have good runners on the opposite side, good set pieces. Uh, talk to Simon, you know, in that piece uh, the listeners have just heard, and he talk about their heights, their they will be a different Bournemouth side to perhaps the one we saw two years ago in the Premier League and of course we played them in the Carabao Cup as well and there will be a, a threat from set pieces are you worried at all that about basically we're going to see a team with a low block defending and frustrating us not necessarily and I think the whole point really of signing a Haaland is that we have the ability to switch it up because I think what often happened last season and to be fair most times we managed to get through but you know you we were we could often get to a game 50 60 70 minutes in where we've only been able to play in one way we haven't had the other option and we're kind of just got to try and do plan a better because we don't have any other plans whereas now with Haaland yes we can still play a lot of the tippy-tappy stuff and we can get the likes of Phil and Mares and Grealish into those tight areas in and around the box and we can open you up with you know, a few one-twos between those lot and De Bruyne and Gundo but what we've also now got is we can swing a ball into the back post um, we can put someone through really early when we win a counter-attack or we win a press um, we can come to feet to someone and then go immediately back out these are just things we haven't had as options and I think when you play teams like Bournemouth who are really going to be coming to try and get a point I think that's a bit of a game changer hmm. Do you see though in games like this it's less likely that we'll see the sort of goal Holland scored last week against West Ham i.e. the space to run onto a long pass or even the short, first one or the a shorter one, pass yeah well, the second one especially of course but the first one as well I don't know. It could be a very packed penalty area, could it not, at all times? I, I, I think we could... I slightly disagree. I think we could definitely see the first one. Um, mm. I think that was a very well-constructed little bit of play. And then, to be honest, if you watch it back, that's Gundogan Haaland's brilliance that gets them into that situation. West Ham were actually in a great... a kind of a great setup, very compact, back four in a good position. It's just that Haaland snuck onto the onto the back of Ben Johnson and just timed his run perfectly. The second goal is 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 more unlikely because I think there's less chance that Bournemouth chase the game because you know chances are they'd be very happy with a point. Um whereas at home West Ham are a decent team, they've got some good players, the crowd are kind of, you know, willing them around seventy minutes to give it a bit of a crack. <laughs> I don't think Bournemouth are away from home are going to be are going to be doing that so I think that is unlikely but they're still you know we're still going to win the ball off them at certain points and you only need to nick it once or twice kind of on the halfway line and that situation's in again so I think both could happen but the first for me is certainly more likely than the second the usual impossible question is predicting the side so your preference is same side or time to bring in some of the players on the bench last week and I guess there's two areas to focus on here, or two players. John Stones, perhaps Riyad Mahrez. What do you think, or do you have any uh, inclinations of how Pet would go with this, like keeping the same side or utilise his squad against a, te- against a side that we're expected to win against comfortably? 
I think at this stage of the season, there's no, there's no points or there's no reason for rotation. I think, you know, you might pick someone because you think they're going to do a better job against a certain team. I.e., it feels like that might have been why Gundo played last week because he's a bit better at staying high up and with Cancelo and Walker kind of getting into those spaces that they did alongside Rodri, that's something that you would normally see from Bernardo. So maybe Bernardo plays instead uh, because we need someone a little deeper and you know we think Pep thinks that the fullbacks kind of aren't both needed there and we can kind of push Walker back. But for me, um, on the other two, I mean, I would imagine he goes with the same two again in, in Grealish and Foden. I think we need to get some minutes into Grealish, I think, for him to build confidence and to kind of play well. Maybe he brings Mares in instead of Phil. But I'd like to see those two get a go again. And then as for Stones, well, it's difficult because I want to see Stones play because I think he is such a good centre-back. He's arguably our best when he plays, I think. And he's he's been unlucky with injuries. But I would imagine what will happen in the game is that Ake starts, he did well. Um, I think he's looked generally very good in the last particularly nine months for City. And you probably bring Stones on, on 60 minutes, get him 30 minutes, and then maybe you've got a decision for the next game. So that would be my guess. But, you know, if Stones started, it wouldn't be a surprise, would it? No. Do you think Ake could get in, could show the form in Pep's head, you know, show the form that would just keep out one of the the big three defenders for a concerted period of time? Do you think he has the ability to, to break into that sort of thing rather than being considered our fourth choice defender for his time at the club? I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised. I don't think it's impossible. But I think there's a noticeable difference um, between particularly Ake on the ball and Stones on the port. And I think, obviously, Ake, what he brings more is that raw kind of clean-up, great reading of the game, very strong defensively, exceptional in the air for his height and left foot. And I think if Diaz is always going to play, which, you know, generally... Since Diaz has joined City, if he's fit, he generally plays. Hmm. I think he's the leader, and he's obviously worn the captain's armband quite a lot now. I think alongside Diaz, you do need someone who's a bit complimentary because Diaz is obviously not the best with his feet himself, and he's the one bringing the kind of defensive now, the clean-up. And so I think it, it, it makes sense and helps to have a Stones or the Port next to him. So to go with Ake and Diaz, I think, would be a surprise. Um but for me, if D- if Ake is to get a run in the squad as a first-team kind of starter, I think it would have to be probably alongside Stones, and it would be those two, um, because I don't see Pep going for Ake Laporte when he gets fully fit because of the double left foot. I don't know why a double left foot's weirder than a double right foot, but it just <laughs> is. <laughs> um, and I, I just don't, I don't think Diaz-Ake as a pairing is the best. It's probably... I would say our worst pairing of the of the four, so that would be my summation. That's because us left us left footers are persecuted throughout history. That's why. So, or is it just left-handed? Who knows? Uh, where does and, this leave Bernardo Silva then? 
Well, I think whether or not he starts this game is going to be quite interesting. I think if it's Gundo again, um, there, there's probably less weight in that Gundo came in for a specific game and it's more Gundo's now the trusted guy for the moment and obviously things can change. And obviously if a, the transfer window slams shut and Bernard is still here, then that conversation will very much disappear. But I think if he if he doesn't start again, I think, you know, I, there'd be a few eyebrows at two o'clock when the team comes out. Do you not agree? Yeah, though again, it could be tactical, but people will read it, you know, other ways. And we don't know, do we really? So, yeah. I mean, if it's exactly the same side, then you, there's an argument, well, he's just keeping the same side. Yeah, you know, mm. and we don't have to read too much into it. He makes changes and Bernardo still isn't in the side. People may read more into it than that. But as you said, maybe Gundogan's ability to unlock higher up or his ability to ghost into the area, you know, it could be tactical reasons like that. So, But people will make their own conclusions, will they not? So, uh, Do you see this then? Obviously, the sun's going to be out. We're all looking forward to getting back to the Etihad. Do you see any chance of this being a very frustrating afternoon or do you think, heart, you know, deep down, your head rather than your heart, do you think City will breeze past Bournemouth on Saturday afternoon I've got to be honest I would be pretty shocked if we don't get three points mm. and we don't get three points relatively com- comfortably our record against Bournemouth since they've been in the Premier League is absolutely disgusting but they've been tight games haven't they there have been tight games but we've basically got over the line in all of them and every second game we play them we slap them by four or five if mm. there's been a tight one the game before now I think the only thing to say to that is that pretty much all of those have been against Eddie Howe and obviously his record defensively at Bournemouth leaves a lot to be desired but yeah we've um, got him next week so we do and the weird thing about it is his defensive record in the last six months at Newcastle has been phenomenal they kept so many clean sheets from Christmas they had the lowest XG conceded last week, albeit they were playing Forest. So he's kind of turned it around, which has been impressive. Um, but, you know, that's a completely separate conversation. Back to your question. Look, I think I think we probably we run up a, a decent number of goals. I think this is one very much where if we score early, it could be it could be quite a few. Um I think the the problem for City is I think the win really helps them against Villa because I think it does take the pressure off in this game. If they were coming into this with zero points, um, I think it's a bit more of a different proposition for them. Um, I think now that they have basically got those three semi-unexpectedly, it gives them a little more license to, to view it as a free hit because you know they probably they're probably expecting to get not just beat but beat by two or three. So I think that probably helps Bournemouth a little bit in their psychology, but irrespective, you know, let's be frank, these are, this is a team that pretty much everyone has said is going to finish rock bottom of the table this season. So anything other than you know a victory and probably a comprehensive one in that would be a pretty big shock. Yeah, and how excited are you to see Erling Haaland in the flesh, the slab of meat himself? Um, very excited, yeah. Uh, as I said at the top, you know, a few boys saying he's just a, even more of a specimen with the naked eye than he looks on the pitch. Um, 
just really hope we I just really hope we shoot towards the uh, the south stand in the first well, half that's the big question are we are we changing ends again like we did at the Villa match well I think for, for this game I'd probably prefer us to shoot to the south stand in the first half but for pretty much any other game it should be that we shoot that way second half anyway because it's just I don't know why we don't it just makes so much more sense to have our fans behind it rather than giving the away team the kind of onus of being able to celebrate right in front of their fans so yeah moving forwards I would fully back the Villa mode but for this game I don't know I'd quite like us to shoot our way in the first half but that feels like a bit of a one-off to be fair yeah it's strange never understood it to be honest uh finish with a probably a stupid question it's going to be 90 degrees there's drink breaks I think in all the Premier League matches on over the weekend is that a factor in this game or does it help that we'll dominate the ball uh, and it's not going to be nice having to chase a ball around in that heat is it I think it is a big factor and to be honest it's a big W for us I think it makes it a lot harder for any opposition team particularly a bottom half team to play against City because it's already pretty fucking difficult anyway and when you add in you know 30 degree 30 plus degree heat and uh, 60 plus percent humidity it's a big problem uh, particularly in the second half Um, and, and I think it definitely exacerbates that if we can get one or two up within the first 25 30 minutes you could see you could see a big score and to be honest again to bring it slightly back to fantasy if this wasn't the second game of the season, you know, this game, Bournemouth at home, this has, you know, Haaland triple captain written all over it. If this was bang in the middle of the season, I think most people would be kind of going all in on that. So, mm. um, there's a, yeah, there's a lot to be excited about from, from a City point of view. And the, the only two players that won't be featuring, we probably weren't expecting to, certainly not starting. Calvin Phillips got a niggle, apparently Cole Palmer too has got an issue. So they're the only two that I've seen so far that Pep's mentioned as injury issues. And, of course, Amuk Laporte won't be there. Right, score prediction then. I'm going to go... I'm going to go 4-0. Okay. I can't see them scoring. But I think even if they do, we should still get a decent number of goals. I think there might be a set-piece threat there. So I'm going to go 4-1, I think. Uh, if if City are comfortable, I can see in the heat them doing that thing where they just close the match down when they've got a lead as well. If True. that happens, but True. I never get complacent. So, right, I think it's time we wrap this up before computers melt and explode because it's been one of those days where technology-wise, and I hope listeners, it isn't that apparent in this show, but technology has defeated us on more than one. Uh, podcast today uh, blame it on the temperature so Lloyd thank you very much for coming on no worries mate software uh, issues eh what can we do yeah what can you do we are just a slave to technology that is a wrap we're off to see if Barcelona have activated enough economic levers to register their mascot yet uh, take care everyone stay safe and as always up the blues